All these things have been prophesied in Scripture far in advance of the birth of Jesus Christ, that it might be known that God gives us warning or gives us information to confirm the words spoken to us through the Bible, through the prophets, and through those who transmit the message of the Bible. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So it's Christmas Sunday morning and Merry Christmas. What a blessing it is to be with you and we're going to be looking at the Christmas passage from Luke's Gospel chapter 2 I see in my notes I have put in chapter 7 that's wrong I got one of them right at least I'm a quarter right this morning on the notes that I gave you but maybe it's the fact that the older you get with glasses on a 2 and a 7 really doesn't look too different sometimes and uh, obviously misread that, but we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 this morning. We know, according to the Word of God, that the first Christmas came with angelic announcements, life-changing decisions, and a governmental decree that forced travel on many of the people, all the people there in the area of Jerusalem, to where Mary and Joseph found themselves in an overcrowded city with overbooked accommodations. And yet the things that resulted on that day is the most wonderful gift of all in the birth of our Savior. The Word of God tells us in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And today, Lord, we ask that you would bless the teaching of your word as we rehearse this very familiar story for those who are churchgoers, Lord, for those who love to celebrate Christmas, and Lord, for those of us who have read the accounts as found in Matthew and Luke in their Gospels. Very familiar story, Lord, but we pray that you would give it fresh meaning to our hearts today, that Lord, though we look at the very first Christmas, we ask, Lord, that this Christmas you would just bless us in a special way and bless our families as well. We pray your blessing also toward our church, our fellowship, the offerings and the gifts received. Lord, we thank you for the 30 years of ministry that you have given us as we celebrated our 30th year 
here in December. And we ask, Lord, for your continued provision for this church, for the families that attend this church. Give us all wisdom, Lord, in the days that we live. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to be looking at the Christ child, the title of the message that I gave it from Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. And we find a God-ordained decree in verses 1 through 3, the house of bread, 4 through 7, an angelic birth announcement, 8 through 14, and glorifying and praising God, verses 15 through 20. We begin reading in Luke 2, verses 1 through 3, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This first took place when Quirinius was governor in Syria, and all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. So Luke has written two of the books of the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, and also the book of Acts. Luke was a physician, and he traveled with the Apostle Paul, and in writing this gospel, well, he tells the person that he wrote it to, his name originally, Theophilus, that name meaning lover of God. But Luke tells Theophilus that in Luke 1 verse 2, that, oh, let's back up to verse 1, and as much as many have taken in hand to set in order the narrative of those things which are most surely believed among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. And then in verse 3, he says, it seemed good to me also, having a perfect understanding of all the things from the first to write to you an orderly account, O most excellent Theophilus. So Luke, we know that he was a physician according to scripture, but also he, he was like a newspaper reporter in the sense that he gathered the information, he put together this narrative to us, and he tells us that these things are surely believed. And he wrote this orderly account by eyewitnesses, no doubt interviewing the eyewitnesses, talking to Mary and others who would have known the account of Jesus and how he was born there in Bethlehem. He also was a man who loved to time stamp his material. In both Luke and Acts, we find that he'll mention names, as we just read, that of Caesar Augustus and that of Quirinius. He mentions names that gives historical timestamps to his writing and giving us the surety that what is being written is true. He put a date on the time of his writing for Caesar Augustus. He ruled as the Rome's first emperor from 27 BC to 14 AD. And it was during this time, it was known as the Pax Romana, it means the Roman peace, that they were pretty much in a state of peace in the Middle East. Now, there was still Rome trying to grow their empire. There were still wars going on in the outskirts. And even in Israel at this time, there was an uprising that had taken place. But at the time of Jesus's birth, there was relative peace while he came to the earth. And he gives us a, a timestamp, and he gives this inconvenient census. Now, the census has not really been 
discovered by the historians. They say there's never any census like this that Caesar called everyone to go to their homeland, uh, the place where they were born, to be registered. We can't find the information. But Luke, again, he writes of this in Acts 5.37 when he told about a time when there was trouble in Israel. Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and he drew many people after him, meaning that he led a rebellion against the Romans in the day of the census. Now the historians say we can't find any document of the census, so this is clearly evidence that this is not true, that the gospel is not true. But they also used to say that there was no such person as Pontius Pilate. Why did they say that? They said, because we can't find any evidence there was any person ever named Pilate who judged over the area of Israel, who was the governor of that area of Judea. And we know that Pontius Pilate was there, whom Jesus stood before, right before he went to the cross. Well, they used to say, we can't find any evidence of him. But one day, when they were working in Caesarea, they pulled out a block of limestone, and they discovered an inscription on it that mentioned Pontius Pilate. So what had happened is that he was no longer governor. It's just like here in the state of Illinois, Blagojevich was the governor of Illinois. He was disgraced. He went to jail. He used to, when you went down 294, you had these big banners over the tollway that had his name on it. He was proud to be the governor of Illinois, and he wanted everyone on the uh, six-lane highway, now I think it's an eight-lane highway, but everyone to see that I'm the governor. But you don't see his name over the highway anymore. It's like, you're not governor anymore. Let's just take that one down. And that's what happened with Pontius Pilate. They actually found it built into a wall, but they turned it around, put it in backwards. It's like, it's still a good stone, but we just don't like what's written on the other side of it, so we'll just hide it in this wall. And also, Professor Forster from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem in 1968 and 69, they discovered a stamping ring, and so they used to put a seal upon official documents, and so they called it a stamping ring. You'd put the wax down and you'd put your seal on it with your ring. And they found this stamping ring with a picture of a wine vessel surrounded by Greek writing that said Pletus. And it's believed to be the ring of the governor, Pontius Pilate, who ruled in that area from AD 26 to 36. So the timing of his ruling was perfect with the Jesus Christ going to the cross. So I'm not too worried about when historians say, well, we can't find information on that. It can't be true. Just like you haven't discovered it yet. It's there. Keep looking. One day you may discover it. But it's important for us to note that God put it in Caesar's heart to make the census because he knew that he needed to get Mary, a very pregnant Mary, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And this was the way that God ordained it to take place. Proverbs 21.1 tells us the king's heart is turned by the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it whichever way he wishes. 
And so God used Caesar's decree to get Joseph to take a very pregnant Mary to Bethlehem. Now, they went to Bethlehem. The name of Bethlehem translated means house of bread. So in 4 and 5, we find that Jesus was from the house and the lineage of David. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea, out of the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, we talked about this last week, that both Mary and Joseph were from the line of David. They both descended from the kingly line of David, but through two different sons. Mary came from the son of Nathan, and Joseph came from the son of Solomon. Now, Solomon's line was technically the kingly line, but Jeconiah was cut off. He was so wicked that God said, you'll have no son sit on the throne over Judah. It's not going to happen. And that is the line that Joseph was come from. So Joseph, being the stepdad to Jesus, gave him the legal heir of the throne. But Mary, being a direct descendant through Nathan from David, gave him the bloodline of David. And the census caused Joseph, as I said, to take Mary to leave their home to travel about 80 to 100 miles. And I know you're thinking, that's not bad. 80, 100 miles, we can do that in an hour and a half, depending on how fast or slow you're driving. Two hours, not bad. Well, they didn't have transportation like that. And many times they walked. A normal day's journey was 20 miles so just imagine if they did that. So like, we're going to go. It's going to take us four days to get there. If it's 80 miles, five days to get there. If it's 100 miles, if we're doing an average normal walk, was Mary on a donkey? We don't know. Was she walking? We don't know. We know she was very pregnant. I'm sure she wasn't sprinting to Bethlehem. So it may have taken them several days just to get there. And not only was Jesus to be born a virgin, according to Isaiah 7:14 born in Bethlehem, according to Micah 5.2, but he was to be of the tribe of Judah, according to Genesis 49.10, of the house and lineage of David, according to 2 Samuel 7.11-16. All these things have been prophesied in Scripture far in advance of the birth of Jesus Christ, that it might be known that God gives us warning or gives us information to confirm the words spoken to us through the Bible, through the prophets, and through those who transmit the message of the Bible. So the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, it presents Jesus as the royal heir to the throne of David by right of adoption by Joseph, who was of the house of David. And Luke 3, verses 23 through 38, presents Jesus the non-royal heir, but the blood heir through Mary, who was of the lineage of David. But when they got to Bethlehem, we know this common account of the Christmas account, 6 and 7. So it was that while they were there, the days were complete for her to deliver and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. There was no room for them in the inn. So last year, if you recall, if you were with us, Pastor Kevin taught about the inn possibly being a lower floor in a home. And so not some stable, some barn out in the middle of nowhere, but 
maybe a lower section of the home. This is what I found written about this. And maybe Kevin found this same thing. The Greek word translated as in, kataluma is the Greek word. The Greek word translated as in could be translated as guest room. This has in fact led some to believe that Jesus may have been not born in a stable or a barn or a cave as some has said, but in a house in the lower floor serving as a nighttime shelter for the family's animals. If that were the case, it wouldn't be surprising to find a manger located in the area of that home. So, you know, people used to keep animals. When I used to go visit my grandfather down in southern Illinois, he maybe only had an acre or so of land, but he kept animals on that land. He would butcher his own pigs and put them in the smokehouse and take care of that and always had chickens and fresh eggs and uh, I guess every once in a while fresh chickens to eat as well. He was accustomed to doing that. In the morning he'd go out and check his traps to see what we're going to kind of meet we might have for breakfast so it could be rabbit or squirrel for breakfast it was just that's how they lived and maybe if inflation keeps going the way it is we might be setting traps and wondering what we're going to be having for breakfast one of these days and going back to the old ways so it wouldn't be unusual to have a lower room that would act as a stable at night to bring the animals in, but not part of the main house. But also we learn that Jesus came from heaven's glory, not as a man, but as a babe. Jesus, the great high priest of God, was not clothed in priestly linen, but in swaddling cloths. Jesus, the king of glory, was not born in a king's palace, but in a lowly manger he was laid. Jesus, the creator of the world, was not welcomed by the throngs of humanity, but was birthed in seclusion in a stable there in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were little among the household of Judah, yet out of you shall rise and come forth to me, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Mark Strauss stated in his book, Four Portraits, One Jesus, so talking about the four Gospels. He said this, the central theme of the birth narrative is the arrival of God's salvation, the fulfillment of his promise to Israel. So Jesus, he was from the right nation. He was from the right tribe, the right family and birthed in the right city. But there's also an angelic birth announcement in verses 8 through 14. And though an emperor, a governor, a king, and an innkeeper were all unaware of the Messiah's coming, his birth did not happen without several supernatural birth announcements that had taken place. Jesus' birth was the subject of prophecy, as I've already mentioned. While Matthew tells us, of a fulfillment of another prophecy involving a star and some wise men. Luke tells us of an angelic announcement that came to some shepherds who were near Bethlehem on that night of his birth. So 8 and 9 we read, There were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were greatly afraid. It has long been argued that the shepherds would not have been tending their sheep in the fields during winter. 
Well, let me first say that we don't know the date of Jesus's birth. We celebrate on December 25th, but historically it's not written in scripture when Jesus was born. Some relate it to the fall festivals of Israel, some to the spring festivals. We have no idea. So we can't rightly say it was winter time there, but you know, their winter is kind of like hanging out in California during the winter time. Unless you're in the mountains, you won't see snow. And you might even, when Lily and I and the kids lived out in California in 92, we came straight from Illinois in the fall, right out to California, never stopped swimming in the ocean. Every Sunday afternoon, it seemed like we'd head down to the beach, we'd swim. Not too many people were swimming in the ocean. It was great. It was too cold for those Southern California folks, but not for people who were born and bred. Well, at least I was born in Illinois, Lily in Mexico, but uh, living in Illinois, it was no problem for us. Now I would say after being there a year plus, the next winter, we didn't do much swimming in the ocean. We had been converted and uh, no longer liked the cool water in the winter time. So their winter, not quite like our winter there in Israel. You go to Israel and you see palm trees, not pine trees in that area. It's a very dry area. And so that's one argument that we could have concerning this, that, well, their winter is not like our winter. But Roy Swartz, who was with us from Chosen People's Ministry a few years ago, taught that there could be another thing that had taken place here, that perhaps these were the shepherds of the lambs that were set aside for the temple sacrifice. The temple in Israel at the time, and it was still there at the time, every morning and every evening they had to offer a sacrificial lamb, one in the morning, one in the evening. And so it could be that the shepherds who were abiding by their flocks in the field were perhaps watching over the sheep that were being bred and prepared for the temple sacrifices that they would symbolically then represent, one author wrote, the Messiah, these lambs representing the Messiah in cleanness and perfection uh, of their sacrifice on the altar and giving it a depth of meaning, if true, that these shepherds, if they were watching over the lambs that would be offered there in the temple, then we go see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We can't know that for sure, but it's an interesting thing to ponder. We too can participate in sharing the message of this gospel, the message of salvation with others, for truly Christ, our Lord, our Savior, has been born in the city of David. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born of a virgin, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. May we also make widely known the salvation of God that is available through faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you, Lord this Christmas morning for the church to gather together to worship you, to set aside this time for many in our nation, Lord, and for us as well. It's a time for family to get together, 
to enjoy one another's company, to have a Christmas meal together, to exchange gifts. But Lord, it's also a day where we are reminded, here's your church, the day, Lord, that you gave the greatest gift that's ever been given, as you sent your only begotten Son, born as a babe, who would grow to be a man. And after three years of ministry on this earth, Lord, he would be put to death, but the grave could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. He resurrected from the grave three days later, and today he offers victory to all who put their faith in his name. Christ Jesus, we need such a gift. We need such a victory this day. I pray, Lord, for those who have never opened that gift of Christ, never received Christ as their Savior, today would be the day that they receive that gift that's been given by the Father. For those, Lord, who have strayed away from the faith and you are calling them back, you know what's going on in their heart. You've been calling them home. May today be that day that they return to you in life-saving faith. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.